Tyler just said, I can't imagine how ki- people raise kids without dogs. Like, oh, yeah. I was like, raised without a dog, and I turned out, I mean, like this. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Crime Crazy, the weekly true crime podcast with Erin Plyme and Diana Seacon, where we prove that we know nothing about our legal system, but we're still crazy for a good true crime story. We have never messed that up. Jordan and I used to mess it up every week. So what are we doing differently then? I don't. Well, I've had lots of practice, so I no longer mess it up. And you just must be smart. S-M-R-T? Yeah. All right. So... What is the best thing you found out this week? Ooh, all right. This week I learned that in Singapore, this has nothing to do with my research. By it, the way. Neither is mine. Okay. I, I didn't even come across it while researching. It's just random fact. In Singapore, there is a, and this is editorializing a little bit, disturbing <laughs> trend of, or also kind of awesome trend of having lavish birthday parties for your one-year-old so on their first ever birthday and by lavish I mean upwards of ten thousand (gasps) dollars sometimes even more and it's like throwing a wedding and you invite a hundred people and you rent a five-star hotel and you have the whole event catered and you have a multi-tiered fondant cake and a theme and a photographer and like insanity I thought I went overboard with Liam's first birthday by just inviting everybody we knew to an open house to be like, woohoo, we didn't kill this for a year. For a year. <laughs> Look, he's still alive. What did you learn? So for those of you just joining us, I have a 106-year-old house. 106? 106. It was I built in... you said 60. I was like, holy cow. No, 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 no. That would be awesome. But no. Yeah. Um, I have a 106-year-old house. It was built in 1912. And we have found some things. Uh, We bought it two years ago. We've lived there for two years now. We have found some things. A lot of them have cost a a lot of money. (laughs) Right. Not good things. But there are some good things. Like the day we moved in, I found in the spare bedroom closet, somebody had written on just very small, Uh I love you. Thanks, house. I love you, too. (laughs) Under the portion that used to be the porch, there are two rooms in the basement. One is like where the breaker box and stuff is, which the tub was installed directly over. So when it leaks, right into the electrical system. Oh, that's that's awesome, good. Awesome decision, people. Yeah. And the next room is just like, it looks like somebody took a sledgehammer and like knocked down the wall in between the main basement and that basement. And there was like tons of like old carpet padding and, and shit down in there. And the plumber's crawling around. He's like, okay, so the reason this would be expensive, like not undoable, but expensive, is because your plumbing is up here above this arch. And I'm like, arch? What do you mean arch? Uh-huh. So he you know, pulls out his flashlight and he shows me. And in this room, in the basement, it was just like a room, like a concrete, you know, yeah. it's a basement room. And I'd always thought maybe it was like the old coal chute or something like that. Yeah. And maybe it was. I don't know. But at some point, somebody built an arch. Within that room, it is reinforced. You can see the rebar because the concrete is crumbling because it was a DIY project, apparently. Um, it has been painted in there. There is graffiti. There is a vent. What on earth? 
So the plumber was like, this is a bomb shelter. I'm like, it's not a bomb shelter. He's like, no, this is a bomb shelter and goes through and shows me all of these features. It is oh. a bomb shelter in my basement. I have heard you say my bomb shelter, my bomb shelter. Yeah. And I thought you were just talking about this like crappy part of your basement. No, were, it's like an actual, actual, legit, bo- bomb actual legit bomb shelter. Huh. So then when we were having the kitchen redone and all the other work upstairs, I took the handyman that was doing the work down there. Like we have a bomb shelter. You want to see it? <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty much what I say to everybody that comes down to the basement. Like, check this shit out. Right. So I was telling Bill, was our handyman, we're looking at it. I'm like, so here's what I don't get is I can't, I can't figure out because there doesn't seem to be a door, nor has there ever been. It literally looks like somebody took a sledgehammer and like pounded out part of the wall and I have to go in sideways. Like, it's not. It's not even a whole hole. It's not even a whole hole. And so I said. Is another entrance? "Mm -mm, Not that I can tell. Okay. <laughs> I found all sorts of weird shit in that house. So, so Bill and I were talking about it. I'm like, so this doesn't make any sense because there's no door. So what would you do with fallout? And it's not very big. So there mm-hmm. wouldn't be like storage for the 90 days of food or whatever it is that you need right. to have in the event of the nuclear apocalypse. And he's like, no, no, no. I think you're thinking about this in the wrong way. You're thinking nuclear shelter. Right. He thinks this is where you go until the planes pass. He was thinking like maybe World War II oh. era. Oh, wow. Which is interesting because in World War II, my house was a convent. <gasps> the nuns built a bomb shelter. I don't know. So anyway, so this bomb shelter, my husband hates it. Will not go in it. Uh, when we figured out what it was and that it was reinforced, I said something to the effect of like, this would be great to go to in storms. Yeah. Because we do occasionally get tornadoes yeah. in the metro. And I believe his exact words were, I'm not getting in that fucking thing. Nice. Which is a pretty strong statement. Jeff <laughs> said fucking? What? Yes. Only in the wow. most dire circumstances. But it really, like, all the stuff in there really bothered him. So we uh, rented a bag, started cleaning up the garage this week. He wanted to bring up all the padding and shit. Yeah, get everything out. To get everything out. So we did. And I was down at the end. Like, Did you have to go hand it to him so that he... He did come in. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I don't think... I mean, he might have come in all the way. Um, <laughs> but I was down at the end and I'm like trying to roll the various pieces up and, you know, get yeah. them. Because again, the, the opening is not very big. You have right. to go in sideways so you can't bring out a big chunk of stuff. So we were pulling it all out. And I stepped on something and it was wooden, which it shouldn't be because it's a basement. Yeah. And there were two wooden boards covering a hole. Uh-huh. And I pull up the wooden boards, and there's a safe in the floor of my basement. That's amazing. Is the floor of a basement a normal place for a safe? Um. So apparently, yes. When okay. I investigated, because then, of course, I went to the interwebs. Well, no. First, what I did is I took a picture, and I sent it to my friend Candace, because her husband is a locksmith. And I'm like, um, so can he get into this? And um, so then I looked it up. The safe was made, or the company that makes the safe has only been in business since 1971. Mm-hmm. So, so it's newer. It's newer. It Which had, is kind of a shame. Right. It had a Floyd's sticker on it, like the security company. Uh-huh. Um, which makes me think, <laughs> I'm going to call them and see if they'll just tell me when it was installed. I'm sure they can't tell me much. Right. But um, because it had an area code on it, I know that it was installed probably sometime after the mid-90s when all the area code splits happened here. 
Oh, okay. So we investigated a little bit and we speculated about it and we figured nothing's in there. Nobody's going to leave stuff in a safe in a house, right? Right. Um, so then my friend Candace, whose husband is a locksmith, had sent him the picture and he said, oh, it looks like the handle is in the open position. If you didn't mess with the dial, you should be able to open it. Nice. And I had tried. I had wiggled it a little bit, but those are really heavy <laughs> I didn't like I didn't pull I didn't pull hard enough right and it wasn't on hinges like the whole top comes off which I also didn't oh, expect okay. so I didn't at all pull yeah enough I would have thought it would have been hinged right so once I got that message I went back downstairs and I whittled a little bit and I pulled it up and it came open mm-hmm. and guess what was in there a body it was a very small safe part of a body an oh. arm that used to be in a shark in a shark. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how I would verify that at this point. <laughs> By the tattoo, of course. Oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> no. About eight inches of water. Lame. Wah, wah. That was a really bummer of a story, Diana. I know, <laughs> but it was such... All that buildup and then water. It was... But shouldn't it be water safe if it's in the floor? So it should be watertight. Um, but I think part of the problem is, again, my house is 106 years old. Yeah. And concrete in 1912 was not the same as concrete now. So that basement is basically unfinishable because the walls weep a little bit when it's... Gotcha. Like when we've had a lot of rain. The water is clean which going through all of that padding I don't know how that could be right but I think that that is just a bad house to put anything in the floor of because the concrete leaches like that's just how it is well so yeah that's really interesting but how it got in there and again maybe it is more airtight when it is like locked Locked, which it wasn't it was open could it be like humidity and condensation it's not airtight and so it well you know that's not a bad idea too because the water is clean which is very puzzling and there's like not stuff in it like nothing's floating there aren't bugs or leaves or right pieces of dirt or left open well and we're sure it's water um i mean i didn't taste it well that's a good thing i'm glad but I think, yeah, I think I might have to get one of those water testing kits and just, just for giggles. Just see, right. But I mean, it didn't smell, like I don't have a really good sense of smell, but it wasn't. Right. It wasn't decaying. It wasn't No, like it smelled like death. Basement. Yeah. And my basement doesn't smell amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bomb shelter with a right. barely there openings. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> and walls that leak. <laughs> So that, it was a fun day until we figured it out. Uh, I waited until Liam got home before we opened it. Yeah. And he was like, what if there's stuff in there? I'm like, there's probably not anything in there. Right. And even the locksmith was like, I do this all the time. There's never anything in there. I'm like, I know there's not going to be. If you're going to go to the trouble of having a safe, unless you die in the house and no one knew there was a safe, like you're not going to leave your stuff in a safe. No. I mean, I figured maybe... An expired passport or an old driver's license or something like that. But, you know, there wasn't going to be millions of dollars. There wasn't going to be a Van Gogh. There wasn't going to be any of this stuff. So the safe story, slightly lame ending. But do you have a crime story for us? I do. Oh, yeah. Does it have a slightly lame ending? I need to be prepared. All right. Before I tell you this story, I have a question for you. Okay. If you and I were on a working holiday together... A working holiday. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's like we went somewhere and work paid for it, but then we stayed for a while. <laughs> okay. 
and we got real drunk. Uh huh. Real drunk. What do you think we'd get up to together? Well, the last time I got real drunk, I just told our boss over and over that I loved her. <laughs> uh, so there'd probably be some of that. What would we get up to? Uh, we'd probably, I don't know, record a really embarrassing podcast episode. <laughs> Maybe. I don't go places when I'm drunk. I guess if I was already drunk, I'd just probably be loud. Yeah. And obnoxious. I have a feeling whatever we got up to will not be as scandalous as whatever story you're about to tell me. What would, what would we get up to? What do you think we'd get up to? I don't know. I've been trying to think about that. I think that, honestly, we would just sit around and giggle. You know, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's much more what I do when I get yeah. drunk, is I, I talk too much and tell everyone that I love them and then go to bed. I... um. So this is something that you might need to know. Okay. When I am starting to get too drunk. Yes. I talk about everybody's hair. Okay. Everybody just has amazing hair. My hair is really soft. Your Yeah. I will want to touch it. Yeah. We, no, we that's will, cool. We will talk about it. Okay. And then I'll start crying. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, the, so the, I've got to cut you off somewhere between the, your hair is gorgeous, let me touch it, and the tears. It's probably too late by then. Oh, there's, yeah. no, there's no stopping in there. There's no stopping. So let me tell you what these two got up to. I'm ready. So in April of 2012, so not last week. No, not last week. Reese Owen Jones, who is 21, and Carrie Mules, who is 20 and a dude, Okay. We're mates from Wales. I was going to say, otherwise, one of them's drinking illegally. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Um, They they are friends from Wales. They were on a working holiday in Australia. Nice. And one fine Saturday evening, they, along with their new Australian friend, James (sighs) (laughs) Vazilj. A what? Yeah. Uh-huh. Vazilj. Yeah. Went to a beach party. Okay. And shared a liter and a half of vodka between the three of them. Wow. So mm. maybe Quickly. maybe this says more about me than about them, but I thought that was a perfectly reasonable amount of vodka for a beach party over an evening. Well, yeah, I was going to say that doesn't... I mean, if they drank it really fast, shots, and the whole thing was gone. Okay. I wonder if maybe there was there was more. Because, yeah, otherwise that's not that much. No. Especially not for young men. Young Welsh men. Right. And, like, <laughs> on holiday when the goal is to get drunk, and I don't know how much, but maybe if it was just really fast. Maybe. I don't know. But I do know that they, they shared this vodka between the three of them. And the next morning, Jones and Mules, uh, who shared an apartment, woke up with righteous hangovers. Yeah. And a penguin in their living room. <laughs> what? <laughs> a live penguin? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Wait, an Australian penguin or like a penguin that had perhaps been taken from a zoo? Aren't there, aren't there penguins native to Australia? I'm not making that up, am I? I don't know if they're native to Australia, but yeah, they're the like warm water ones that are yeah. in Africa. I thought they were in Australia. Maybe. I don't actually know a lot about penguins, except they're real cute. And really stinky. And, oh, I didn't know that. Although that makes sense. I do know. So my sister 
was going to get married at Como. Yeah. Uh, which is a zoo here in town and conservatory. We went there and saw the penguins and it smelled awful. Yeah, yeah, it does. But what I found out when they were uh, planning this wedding, which didn't happen because they broke up, uh-huh. um, that when you hold an event at Como, you yeah. can rent an animal. Oh, that can come out and be at your wedding. They can come out and be at your wedding. Oh my gosh. It's like 250 bucks. And you, can, and you can get a penguin. And I find this out and I say to my mom, you got to get them a penguin. She's like, I'm not paying for a penguin. I'm like, I'll pay for the penguin. 250 bucks? Yeah. I am Do you get on to it. touch it? I don't know because then they broke up. Uh, so I've seen like some wedding, maybe on like TLC or something where they, they had a sloth or a whatever at the way and they just had a handler and it's little place and it was like on a leash or whatever. Yeah. But you can take pictures with it and uh yes yeah i think 250 dollars is a bargain to yes. take pictures of yourself with a penguin right although i might want a barn owl even though i realize yeah. that's not the most exciting of animals because they're just kind of you know an, a bird but like but i mean a, a native bird I, I guess a penguin is a bird too <laughs> we have the raptor center oh yeah Anyway, All right. I didn't get so to play with a I penguin learned. at my sister's wedding. And you didn't wake up with one in your hotel room, so you're kind of failing oh, at life. not even in a hotel room. They had an apartment because they were there for a while. Oh, wow. They were on a, a working holiday visa, it was called. Oh, okay. Cell phone footage. Oh, no. <laughs> so blackout drunk. Oh. Maybe I need to reconsider how much liquor is a liter and a half. <laughs> It's just, but anyway, cell phone footage shows <laughs> yes. that the three had broken into SeaWorld on the Gold Coast of Queensland. <laughs> they set off a fire extinguisher in the shark enclosure. They swam with the dolphins. Oh, my God. And then they made off with Dirk, the fairy penguin. Okay, I've read this story. What? <laughs> when you said Dirk, I'm like, I, I know, I know this one. story. It's not oh the one you gosh. did this week, right? <laughs> no, it's not. But I, I don't know why I know this story. Dirk the fairy Dirk penguin. Dirk the fairy penguin. I have to Google fairy penguin. Keep telling your They're story. very cute. I bet. So Jones and Mules tried to care for the penguin by feeding it bread and putting it in the shower. I feel like at this point you... Put it somewhere relatively safe in public and then make an anonymous call. I don't feel like you feed it bread. Well. Like a seagull. <laughs> I thought you weren't supposed to feed any bird's bread. Like it expands no. in their tummies. Yeah, no, it's it's bad. But also like, I don't know. I never would look at a penguin and be like, bread. Bread for you, buddy. It's and a fish. shower. Well, I mean, at least the shower, like, I could make it cool. I could give it some water. It's a swimming yeah. bird. That that makes more sense than, oh, my God, fairy penguins are so cute. Oh, they're adorable. They're so tiny. 12 yeah. to 13 inches. They only weigh three pounds. Oh, it's like a petite pe- lap penguin. These two weren't that bright. They soon realized that they were in way over their heads with this penguin. I realized that right around the point when you said, and there was a penguin. <laughs> Hanging out. See, Swimming with the dolphins is also dangerous. I think we've discussed dolphins this. Dolphins fuck you up. <laughs> Literally. Yes. <laughs> oh, so bad. They abandoned Dirk in a local canal. 
This was not a great move. No. Because this is Australia, and that canal, full of sharks. Oh, no, Dirk. Dirk was chased by an animal, possibly a shark, we're not sure, before being herded back into the water by a dog. Bad job, dog. A couple the of dog was like, what the fuck is that? I'm going to get it. <laughs> you look like a bird. Back into the water. Right. A couple in the area said that they heard a scuffle in the water and this penguin came out onto the sand. They then used their smartphone to Google lost penguin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is what you would need to do at that point. That's that exactly is, what I would do. And the, like anyone knows. <laughs> the, they did. Like the... Uh, SeaWorld or local news or whatever had posted something like, if you see this penguin. We're missing a penguin. Yeah. Actually, um, my first Google would be, what kinds of penguins are native to Australia? Right. Oh, not this one? Lost penguin. What? Why is there a penguin in the canal by my <laughs> Dirk, who was seven, Aww. was retrieved by SeaWorld employees. Good. He had never been in the wild before. Aww. He's part of a breeding colony. And he was returned to his mate, Peaches. Oh! Exhausted, but otherwise well. He had some shit to tell her. Right? You'll never believe. Oh my God, Peaches. <laughs> There's fucking sharks. Uh, so there are a couple of different versions about how these humans were caught. One oh, yeah. is that somebody saw them dumping the penguin by the canal and called the police. Could be. Yeah. The other... Huh? is that they posted a video of themselves oh and the penguin on Facebook after finding him in their apartment the next morning. If you want a good time. <laughs> yes. If you search for Dirk the penguin on the Daily Mail, they uh-huh. have excerpts of the swimming with the dolphins and a bunch of the other stuff. Oh in- my God. Including the next morning when one of the guys is like, Holy shit, there's a penguin in our house. Oh so I I sort of would like to amend my answer to your initial question about what we would do if we got drunk. We would watch videos of people accidentally finding penguins in their apartment. Probably. <laughs> I wonder how many of those that we might we might have to take down that bottle of whiskey and get to that. <laughs> I know what I'd like to do tonight. Right? <laughs> So Jones and Mules, the two guys from Wales, uh, pleaded guilty to trespassing and stealing and keeping a protected animal. Their lawyer, who wore a penguin tie to court. Oh, my God. (laughs) Said that his clients were immature and stupid. Kind of like him. Right. But that there was no malice involved. I, I feel like, yeah, that's pretty legit yeah when they went before the magistrate he accepted an appeal not to record the convictions against them uh one of the articles mentioned that they had plans to move to australia and apparently if they had convictions that would have screwed that up yeah he fined them a thousand australian dollars each which uh at the time was about a thousand u.s dollars right they also wrote letters of apology to SeaWorld and the australian public Uh, Their Australian mate was charged with a single count of trespassing, and his case was adjourned to June of that year, but I wasn't able to find out what happened with that. Right. He didn't wake up with the penguin, so potentially... No, and he only... They were charged with... I couldn't quite tell if it was two or three counts. There was the trespassing, and then the stealing, and then the keeping. I don't know if stealing and keeping were one count or two. Sure. Um, But this guy was only 
charged with trespassing. Right. So, so I don't know if he was just holding the phone while they swam with the dolphins <laughs> or, right. or because, yeah, he wasn't in the apartment where the penguins was being capped. Right. I don't know. But I wasn't able to find or he anything testified more on him. against his friends. Maybe. And they're, like, his name is not as uncommon as I thought it would be. So I oh. just, I couldn't. Couldn't find. Yeah. I couldn't put together that it was the right guy when gotcha. I was looking for him. That is an amazing story. I told you I had cute crime this week. Oh my gosh, that was so great. So Aaron, <laughs> what do you got yeah. for me? I have an awesome story. <gasps> Yay. Um, I, well, I don't know if it's awesome. So it, uh, it was... You're just going to have to wait and see. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It had a lot more detail than I thought it was going to. It wasn't exactly like some of the stories I've had recently where it had a twist, but then it just kept going and going. It's more like there's a lot of detail. This was a very elaborate crime. So it took three pages. I in Aaron's know. Podcasting notebook. And I write such shorthand that I can almost always fit my stories on a page, maybe two. Well, and not only shorthand, but you have tiny, tiny writing when oh, yeah, you're putting them. like, dots on the page it has to fit inside the dots. right yeah whereas I mean I type mine because a handwriting takes too long and b my handwriting is giant and loopy and I wouldn't be able to read it <laughs> <laughs> well so I did type this one so earlier when you were here and I was like I have to write my story up I was writing it into my podcasting notebook from my typed notes I have definitely done that yeah my narrative is almost always chronological order trying not to give away the the twist or the ending um almost always I mean sometimes I just start with and there was this guy who's a serial killer except he's not the first serial killer <laughs> right. um but this one's a little I'm going to tell it a little out of order because one of the articles that I found uh started it it told it out of order and the way that they started I thought was just both really, really sweet and kind of unusual. I, I don't know. But anyway, so okay. I'm going to tell it in, in a slightly different order. We're going to see if it works or if it falls flat. Excellent. But either way, um, the woman's name. Well, so there's a it's a husband and a wife that I'm going to tell you a story about. And I'm going to give you a little bit of background about both of them. Her name is Miriam and his name is Alan. So she starts off the story as Miriam Giles and he is Alman Helmick but they eventually end up married so she takes his name um so Alan Helmick in 2000-ish was in his sort of mid-late 50s he was a banker very successful very smart everybody who knew him just described him as the nicest guy and like kind of Captain America-esque, like just really good, would do anything for you, completely, you know, upright citizen, like just almost, almost romanticized to like superhero standard kind of, kind and of guy. And a banker. And he's a banker. <laughs> I know, I know. But apparently a really, really responsible businessman and very honest in all of his dealings, always paid his debts and his bills and like wow amazing guy and super super generous so Miriam also was very very likable um and so here's kind of how they met and how the story starts so in 2003 
Alan Helmick's wife, first wife, dies. Um, and it's tragic, and he is distraught. They had been together since they were four, or since he was 14. Aww. He is now, you know, mid to late 50s. Like, they've just been together forever, and she was the love of his life. And I, it sounded like maybe she'd been sick for a while. It wasn't like a sudden death or a murder or anything like that, but still very, very tragic. So he's very sad for. A, a while um, and pretty much shuts himself in for months then he finally decides you know what I've got to I have to live my life like I've got to go do something yeah so he remembers and this is such a weird detail but he remembers that he has a a credit or like a gift certificate for a ballroom dancing class <laughs> that it sounded like maybe he and his wife had taken some but had paid for more than they had taken and he had one left over he's like okay so i'm gonna go do that yeah so he goes to this ballroom dancing class where he meets the instructor miriam giles so miriam also has a sad story because three years before this so in 2000 her adult or older teenage daughter died of an overdose um Different articles had different causes of death, but that's what she told everybody. It was an overdose. And then two years after that death, apparently her husband had, whose name was Jack Giles. With, Solid name. Yeah. Or sort of unfortunate. It's, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Jack Giles. Jack Giles. He uh, killed himself while they were sleeping together in their bed. They were both in the bed. And he shot himself in the head and died. And she said, you know, he just had been distraught ever since the death of their daughter. He couldn't get over it that a a birthday had come and she'd always called on the birthday. And so he waited by the phone all day, Mm -hmm. even though she'd been gone and just, you know, couldn't, couldn't handle it. And so she was also sad, but she was not looking for a relationship. Alan wasn't either, but was just instantly smitten. And so he was after her and after her and after her. And finally, she agreed to go on a date with him. And they fell in love. And they were just inseparable. And after some time passed, Miriam moved in with him. And then in June 2006, they became engaged. And he spoiled her. So this is where his generosity comes in. He was very good at his job. And he made good money doing his job. And so after they got engaged, but before they got married, he went to his accountant and he said, Miriam wants to open a little dance studio of her own. And so I want to invest in this dance studio. And the being interviewed later, the accountant was like, you know, this was not a a sound business choice, but he just wanted to give that to his wife. And so we set it all up. They opened a dance studio. So, of course, all of their friends signed up to take these dance classes. And Miriam was an instructor, so she was good at that. Uh, and yet it still, I mean, it was not a, a solid business plan. And they were hemorrhaging money before very long. And it just was not doing well. But not that big of a deal. Like, they could afford it. So then after they had been married for a while, he went back to his accountant. And he said... Um, we want to open a horse farm. Miriam wants to breed, I I forget if it was show horses or racing horses, but like real expensive horses. Holy moly. And so we want to open up this, this horse farm. And so, you know, I need you to help me set all of that up. And this time the accountant was like, look, 
I know that you love your wife and that you're good with money and that you can afford it, but this is a really bad idea. Nobody makes money on this kind of thing. Like you'd have to get really, really lucky and it would be many years down the road. Like this is just going to cost a fortune. And Alan was like, no, I'm, I want to do this. Like set it up for me. This is what I want. Can you so, imagine what would happen if either of us went to our husbands? <laughs> like, honey. I need several million dollars for horses. Let's set up horse farm. Yeah, right now. <laughs> yeah. I think that we should start with either alpacas or goats. But which one? Um, so yeah, horse farm. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. Where were we? We were I'm talking just, I'm about I'm just picturing goats. Jeff, like, I'm going to go home tonight and I'm going to be like, honey, I want to start a horse farm. Uh-huh. And just watch the flicker of emotions before he finally just says, no. 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 <laughs> we we could try that. Hey, honey. Oh. <laughs> A head shake before I even asked. <laughs> so they they bought the horse farm and they bred they the horses and they hired a riding instructor and they gave lessons on the farm and of course it cost them a fortune and everybody that that talked about it later or at the time just said basically, you know, we know he is a good enough businessman that he knew this was going to happen. Like he didn't make a poor investment choice. He just has a really expensive hobby. Right. So, and he could support it. Right. Without problem elsewhere. Right. Right. But then the bad thing happened. So on June 10th, 2008, Miriam was out running errands all morning. She was supposed to meet Alan at lunchtime at a Chinese restaurant. It sounded like they may have even had like a standing date, but at least um, they had a date that day. And she got to the restaurant. She texted him, hey, I'm here. Where are you? No answer. So a little bit of time passed. She called. And there's a transcript. Um, Actually, there's a recording of her call because she left a voicemail. She didn't reach him. And she basically said, hey, you're never late. Like, did you stand me up? Did you forget what's going on? I'm a little bit worried. Well, after that, she got very worried and she went back to the house. And when she got to the house, she found him. He had been shot in the back of the head. The house was torn apart. Near him, there was a 25 caliber shell casing, his wallet, and his cell phone. Um, the police came because she called 911 and called the police. They found her kneeling over him, just distraught. Um, she said, you know, our house has been robbed. My husband has been shot. Like, I don't know what, you know, I don't know what happened. Um, they looked through the house and didn't buy the robbery piece. They were fairly certain the crime scene had been staged to look like a robbery gone bad because there were some drawers open. There was stuff out of the drawers, but like his wallet and his cell phone were right Right next to him and nothing was really missing. And the house wasn't turned upside down. Like people had been searching for something. It was just kind of like somebody had gone through and tried to make it look like a robbery. Right. So already they really didn't didn't buy that. Um, and then, so, you know, they first thing that they do when they suspect that it was a murder and not like a robbery gone wrong is look at the wife. Mm-hmm. And so they looked at Miriam and they did a gunshot residue test on her hands. No gunshot residue on her hands. Um, and they looked at her alibi. They verified it with receipts and security cameras. Like she'd been out shopping all morning. 
Um, and of course there was the voicemail and the text, like, where are you? And the panic in her voice and all, all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so they didn't have a good suspect. They were pretty sure the scene had been staged. Um, either way he, he was dead and it was very tragic. Um, then they started looking into things and he had been nearly killed several months before this. There was a, an attempt on his life. And so what had happened was he and Miriam had gone out and I read a couple of different accounts. It sounded like he had been doing business somewhere, like maybe he had sold a business or he had closed on some kind of contract and had signed all the paperwork and they were together and then she needed to run to the bathroom and so they had stopped in a parking lot and she went in to use the restroom he was sitting outside in the car by himself and um he saw smoke like in the rear view mirror and so he got out of the car as you do when there is smoke mm-hmm. right behind your car good move and found that somebody had put a cloth rope soaked in some sort of accelerant like lighter fluid or whatever into his gas tank and so it was essentially a wick and they had lit the rope on fire so that it would burn into the gas tank and blow up the car is would that i suppose it would happen so that's very creative right Apparently, there's a movie where that's part of the plot. Oh. Which I am not familiar with this movie, and I forgot to look it up. So somebody will tell us. It's a hard Google search. Movie with gas and wick. (laughs) I feel like if I search for lit wick in a gas tank, I'm going to come up with this case. Right. And not, but maybe not. I mean, maybe it's a movie, and I just don't really watch that many movies. Who knows? Somebody should tell us. (laughs) What movie this is. That's on the Facebook page. That's right. Oh, that was going to be mine today, I learned. We'll come back to that. We should do a shout out for that one. Yeah. We need to look up who it. Oh, no. I, yeah, I got it. Okay. Um, so anyway, they, um, so there'd been this attempt on his life. So that just cast even more doubt on this like robbery gone wrong kind of thing. Um, so then within about a week... Miriam started telling her friends that she'd been noticing some kind of upsetting things around her house that she would, you know, lock all the doors when she went out and she would, because there had been a robbery and her husband had been murdered. Right. Um, when she came home, things would be unlocked that she was sure she had locked, uh, that lights would be on, that she knew she had turned out, that cabinets were open when she had not left anything open. So like somebody was in her house. Um, she at one point saw a strange car and asked a bunch of her neighbors if they had noticed a strange car hanging around and nobody had, but she was convinced that, that she'd seen a strange car. And then one day she and her friend Penny Lyons were out and um, this was about 10 days after Alan's murder and they came home and the first thing she noticed is there had been police tape on her front door and she had intentionally left it up. I, maybe it sounded like to catch... Like, to know whether or not somebody had been in right, the house. Right, somebody messing with stuff. Right. Because she was back in the house by this point. She didn't need to have police tape up. It wasn't an active crime scene anymore. Um, she hadn't been cleared, but, like, she wasn't a good suspect, so she was back in the house. 
So they went into, or they went around to the door, and then they noticed there was a bright yellow envelope under the mat. And so they pull it out, they look at it, and on the outside of the envelope is written, to the grieving widow. Okay, so like sympathy card or something. And it's not how you address those. No. Uh, inside, it there's the it's a card. It wasn't like a, a letter, and it was a cartoon with Einstein quote or something on it, just like a, a greeting card. Also, not appropriate for the situation. No. Well, then inside it said, "Alan was the first. You are next. Run, run, run." <gasps> oh. So she freaks out. Yeah. Right. And Penny, um, you know, who was there at the time and has is a longtime friend of hers, said, you know, she was very upset by the whole... They both were very upset by the whole thing. But not everybody felt bad for her. Because a lot of people, police included, thought that was really weird. Like, so weird that they wondered if it was real. <sighs> There were rumors that maybe Alan had owed money on some sort of bad deal or that, um, you know, he had had screwed somebody over in a business deal and they were getting revenge on him and that that's why he was murdered, that it was essentially a hit that, you know, now they might be coming after Miriam to try to collect on something or just out of revenge or whatever else. But people who really knew them said that was not realistic, that A, that kind of thing just didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And B, that it never would have happened to Alan anyway. He was such a great guy and everybody's hero and, you know. And they didn't have any, neither of them had children. Uh, no, they, children. right. They had, a, she had a, an adult daughter who had passed so away. died. And, and he has adult children. Okay, so they, he did have children. Yeah, okay. but they were, I mean, they were adults. They were moved out before they met. Yep. Before Miriam and Alan met. So they were a little suspicious and they looked a little more closely into her alibi and what they discovered was she had definitely been, I mean, as they had discovered the first time, like she had been gone all morning. Um, But they also uncovered some kind of weird things that she had done that morning. So it was whatever day of the week that Alan's granddaughter came to ride and met the instructor at the house and took riding lessons. And she always came in the afternoon. She was scheduled to come that day. Well, early in the morning, Miriam, before Alan had died, before she'd gone out on her errands, she called the instructor and said that Alan's granddaughter would had to cancel the lesson because she, Miriam and Alan, they had not gone to pick up the granddaughter the night before, which was their routine. So she wasn't at the house. So she wasn't gonna be able to make the lesson. And then she had called Portia, who was the granddaughter's mom, so Alan's adult daughter, and said that the instructor had canceled the lesson. And so there was no lesson that afternoon. Hmm. So that was a strange thing to have coincidentally done on the day that you then find your husband dead in the afternoon. Mm. And so they looked more closely at her car and they did a, or they maybe re-examined some gunshot residue evidence from earlier. And they found a very small something on the steering wheel that could have been gunshot residue. So it was inconclusive, but suspicious. 
So I don't know. This was a little bit inconclusive. Like they thought it could be GSR, but like maybe not enough to say, hey, you did this. But then the kids, so there were, there was also some other information that sort of came to light after Alan's death. And it put some pieces in place for his kids. For one thing, he had been ill before his death, for, for months before his death. And he was a healthy, strong, relatively young mm-hmm. guy. And so they were suspicious and they thought that maybe somebody had been harming him. And once he died and the police went through the house and collected all the evidence, they found he was on nine different prescriptions, which was a lot for somebody who didn't have any kind of chronic health issue that Mm -hmm. anyone knew of. He was on, among other things, Viagra and which not for, I mean, for health issues, but not health issues, Ambien and Lysinopril which I think might be blood pressure medicine, but I don't have any reason for thinking that. And so they were a little surprised by all of these medications. The other thing that made them equally suspicious is that somebody had used the home computer to do an internet search for keywords like putting a horse down, Lysinopril death, Viagra overdose, Ambien death. What happens if I mix Ambien and Viagra? And the like. Oh. And so the kids said, hey, detectives who are investigating this, I think that Miriam has been poisoning my dad. He has been unwell and he's not normally unwell. And, um, you know, he had all of these medications and there are these unusual searches and everything else well they the medical examiner said he had a bad heart like I don't know why you wouldn't have known this or if you should have known this but like he was on high blood pressure medicine he had a bad heart like he probably shouldn't have been taking the Viagra with his heart condition but That would explain why he was often in bed when you called and why he, you know, was not as active as he had been and everything else. Um, But they they said it was really more than that, that for several weeks before the first attempt on his life, they had he'd been unreachable. And then some of that time between the two attempts, he had been unreachable as well, that they had called and they would call the house phone and it would it would go to voicemail or to the answering machine or Miriam would answer and she'd take a message and he would never call them back or they would call his cell phone and for a long time it would go to voicemail and they would never get a return call but then after a while she started answering it and she was carrying it around with her and she would say, oh, well, your dad's not feeling well. He's lying down. I'll give him a message. They never heard back. Hmm. And they weren't the only ones who were trying to contact him his bank was very interested in getting a hold of him because he had unbeknownst to him some serious financial issues so not the bank he worked for but like like his the bank he banked at. the bank yes <laughs> the ones who had his money may have been the same one i'm not really sure but yes Hopefully the ones that departments at least right right <laughs> Um, And they had been unable to get a hold of him, too. And they actually ended up writing letters because even when Miriam had gone in to cash a check or pay a bill or whatever one time and they had cornered her and they were like, hey, we have got to talk to your husband. This is really important. Have him call. 
he didn't return their call. <laughs> and um, so they had written him letters. And actually, the day that he was murdered, there was a, a kind of final notice-esque letter in his in his mailbox that he never got to read. So her friend said, okay, and I'll, I'll tell you more about what the bank was interested in in a minute, but his friend said that, um, you know, yeah, it looked bad and Miriam had behaved strangely and she's the wife and like all these other circumstantial kinds of things, but she had no motive. It wasn't about money because she didn't work. She had her like dance studio hobby and her horse hobby and Alan just gave her everything she wanted I mean bought her a horse farm (laughs) and he would give her spending money and like she wasn't any better off after his death than she was before right that they had never seen any sort of conflict between them that there wasn't any like you know love issue or or whatever There, there wasn't any infidelity or anything like that and they pointed out that actually she was in a lot of well in a lot of ways worse off now that he was gone because when he'd been alive, he gave her money and she paid her bills and she went shopping and she bought groceries and whatever else. Now that he was dead, she didn't have access to any of his accounts. She was not on any of his financial accounts because his adult children had been very wary of her when they got married because she was a lot younger and he was very well. And so in order to make them comfortable, he had signed a prenup. They'd both, readily agreed to Mm -hmm. a prenup no big deal and so once he was gone she couldn't pay her bills and had to borrow money from friends and like so why would she have killed someone you know this was put herself in a worse position right right not knowing whether she'd get anything but certainly aware that for a while she would get nothing well and he's not bringing home a paycheck right maybe he hadn't made her beneficiary on the life insurances right right you know you just don't know So that's all fine and good until they uncovered that she had forged his signature on checks about $16,000 worth of checks. And some of them, people were aware that this was happening. So like some of them had been written to the dance studio to pay employees and that kind of thing. And they said, you know, like the manager, whoever of the studio said that they knew that she had signed the check, but it was like husband and wife, like not a big deal, right? No, it's still okay. It is not okay. Not okay. (laughs) It is not okay. But they just assumed that Alan was aware that she was writing the checks, that surely he would notice, right? And that he supported the business and everything else. It just, they, it didn't raise any red flags. Weird, but okay. Right. Um, The other thing that was uncovered is what the bank was so anxious to talk to Alan about was the $140,000 plus personal loans that had been taken out that now needed to be paid. So they don't because your debts die with you. Well, but they, they were trying to contact him when he was alive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's what that letter in the mailbox was for and everything else. Well, the thing was, these loans had been taken out in his name. He had no knowledge of them. Hmm. Yes. 
So further investigation. This is actually a little bit of going backward in time because one thing that I did not tell you earlier, but did happen. And I don't think that Miriam knew or the kids knew until they started really investigating Miriam to begin with. But when... When the fire had happened with the gas tank and the wick and everything, they they suspected Miriam. Like, it was a little weird that they were just driving somewhere. She needed to stop. The moment she gets out, somebody does this elaborate murder thing to him and she's not in the car to be harmed. Right. Like, it was kind of convenient. That's like the worst excuse ever. I was in the can. Yeah, right? <laughs> well, and I mean, there was, I think, some video or something to prove that she was, but it was still weird. It's not like this happened on his normal leave-for-work time right. at his house or coming home. or You know, it wasn't a routine. It wasn't... Like, they hadn't staked him out to see what he did, where he was. Right. Like with the ham kidnapping. He left right. every day at 12.45 to go to lunch. And, but, yes, <laughs> exactly. Yes. And it was, it was not like this. It was a little weird. So they suspected her. And they said to him, hey, what if we told you that we had security footage from across the street that shows your wife messing around with the gas tank and we think she's the one that tried to blow you up. You know, how? what would you say to that? And his response was, that's impossible. But I could be wrong. Right? Oh my God. So they were like, huh. Well, there wasn't any security footage that showed this. The story was apparently that she, when she got out of the car, she was like, hey, can you pop the trunk? I have to get something out. And then went around to the back of the trunk and I guess dropped something on the ground. So she was back there a little while, but had a plausible reason for having left my purse in the trunk wanted to go in right oops i dropped my keys on the ground let me pick those up and then or my wallet or whatever pretty sure i did that today (laughs) oh yeah no i yep i definitely got on the bus got back off the bus went back to my car (laughs) didn't have my headphones waited for the next bus no i no my they waited for me (laughs) they had a few minutes anyway they weren't Oh. Her, like there was a time no. so I made sure they would wait for me before I got <laughs> off the bus um so that was that so they also looked into this card that she received the threat and it was very convenient because it turned out that the card was manufactured and sold only at this relatively local chain and that not very many of them were sold and they were able to trace it to exactly the store and the relative time that it was purchased. And they they did have security cameras there. And so they're watching the cameras or they're watching the video and they see someone come in and pick up the card and take it to the register. And it is Miriam. Uh, right. So December. Oh, there's more. So then it comes out that in 2004, which was after they had met, and nope, that's a lie. It was just before they had met because they met in 2006. So they, they got, got engaged. Married two, yeah. Yeah, they got engaged. So, okay. Um, it was probably right around the time they met because 2003 was when Alan's first wife died. And so 2004. Miriam was working at the dance studio. It actually probably was just after they met because she got into some trouble at work. 
her boss accused her of petty theft and embezzlement. Mm. And then she got in more trouble because somebody uncovered that she'd forged about $7,000 worth of checks. And she actually spent three days in jail for it. And Alan was aware of this. And some of her friends and some of his friends were aware of this. Uh, But I guess they just kind of treated it as it was a mistake. It wasn't that big of a deal. Like, which for me, (laughs) that's kind of a big deal. That's a a deal breaker. Yeah. (laughs) But they seem to have laughed it off. I don't know if maybe he was like, oh, she's going through a really tough time. Like, she's had all this loss and... I don't know. I mean, there's a difference between, you know, especially since these are people where at least he was in his 50s. Yeah. You know, I could see at that point if she had gotten into trouble in her teens or 20s. Yeah. That at that point you're like, I mean, hell, we've all done. <laughs> we've right. all done things we were in our teens or 20s. You got caught. All right. 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 But like, she was a real grown up. No, it's true. She was a real grown-up that had already been through an entire family. Right. So, anyway, um, they, so some of the friends knew about it. I guess they kind of had laughed it off a little bit. Not the friends, but like Alan and Miriam had kind of, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Like, oh, there were accusations. The other thing is, so there were accusations and she spent three days in jail, but it didn't say that she'd been convicted of anything. So they... They definitely could have either Miriam played it off this way or they both did. It was a misunderstanding. It didn't really do the thing, you know, but now I've been to jail. Like, oh my God, let me tell you about that. But it took three days to sort out. I was in there. Sure. I didn't have bail money because all my family was already dead. Right. Nobody called to bail me out. Right. (laughs) So on, so, but that, that just adds to the, like, there is this, clear pattern of bad behavior and now it's a pretty done deal so on december 8th 2008 she was arrested and they um convicted her the judge gave her life Mm. plus 108 years because the crimes that she committed around committing this murder including like the attempted murder and the check forgery and all of this other stuff the fraudulent loans and everything happened on all different days they counted them as all separate charges threw Ah. away the key she will be there forever and ever and ever um but that wasn't the end of the story because there's still two other dead people there are still two other dead people So likely she will never be charged with or tried for the death of her first husband. It was ruled a suicide. Um, And while some people also suspect that she may have murdered her daughter, that she may not have died of an overdose, but that that might have been kind of a, I'm, you know, I'm done. I want to start over. Like my daughter's kind of a screw up. I'm going to kill her. Oh my gosh. Now I have this really great way to get rid of her dad and, or whatever. Or was it that the daughter really died? And then she's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I could use this as a. Right. So her first husband, Jack, his brother said he was always suspicious and he wishes that he'd been more vocal about it and pushed police harder. And the things that made him the most suspicious were twofold. The first one was that he didn't feel like Jack was that sad. 
not that he wasn't appropriately sad for the death of his daughter, but that he wasn't so sad that two years after her death, he was so miserable still Mm -hmm. that the only way out was to kill himself. Like he just never bought that. Yeah. He'd gotten on with his life a little bit. Like, yeah, he was sad. That was a horrible thing, but at some point you got to get up and keep going. Right. I mean, and for Alan, it just took a couple of months, which was quick. Um, but the I feel like second, that happens sometimes with kind of the the middle aged, yeah. Especially since he had been coupled Forever. almost his entire life. Yeah. yeah. So, well, yeah, and I think I think too that jumping into something so serious so fast probably was helpful for him. Like maybe not healthy, but at least. A really good distraction. If he was such a good businessman in in a banker and that kind of thing, like he's used to taking risks. Yeah. And relationships just another kind of risk. Yeah. That, absolutely. You know, you know, it's it wasn't it's not a permanent marriage is not a permanent decision. Right. Right. And especially if he feels like he's taken care of his children by the prenup and his other financial arrangements yeah. and all of this stuff. Yeah. It you know, it doesn't work out. Well, now you own some horses and you get rid of the wife. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, and he was very protected. I mean, even even he was protected by the the prenup and everything mm-hmm. else. I mean, he ultimately spent every last penny on her. He didn't know it, but he did. Right, but he tried to Yeah. He tried to take care of everybody. He did, and he got a lot of joy from making other people happy. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the real reason that the brother of the first husband thinks there was some foul play is that his brother was shot in the right temple, but he was left-handed. Oh. Bad cops. Right? Bad cops. But, I mean, ultimately, there was, again, like, there was no physical evidence pointing to her. There was some weirdness. Also, who shoots themselves in, in the bed? bed? With your wife next to you? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Although I suppose that's a convenient excuse for why she was probably covered in blood. Yes. Yeah. If it really happened, can you imagine how that waking up goes? No. That would be insane. I'm also just picturing, like, I'm real lazy. But, like... Am I too lazy to sit up to kill myself? Right, <laughs> right, right. Walk like, in the other room. I feel like you can make a little bit of an effort. Right? Well, and if you're lying there right next to somebody, I don't know. I just feel like even if you are determined to kill yourself, that the actual killing yourself, it'd be very hard to be silent enough to do it in bed with another human being. Well, yes. Was it just like on the bedside table? Just like reach over and grab and... And go? Right. Yeah. It didn't... You didn't wake her up when you moved. She didn't hear the click. Like... I I mean, honestly, I sleep like the dad. Yeah. Jeff can get up to all manner of things at night and I don't don't hear any of it. I sleep like the dead for about an hour out of the night and the rest of the time when the dogs roll over, I wake up. And when the kids breathe, you know, I, so I don't, that doesn't resonate with me at all. But when we've got the air conditioner and like a white noise machine, it's dark and it's, and, and I sleep hard. Yeah. So yeah, no, he could, 
he <laughs> he doesn't sleep terribly well, and he's up for hours in the middle of the night most nights. Mm-hmm. I have no idea until I ask him in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's like our boss who gets up to read a book in the middle of the night every mm-hmm. night. Mm-hmm. It's, it's crazy to me. Ready for the, the ending? I am. So uh, I have another thing that I learned. Ooh, what's that? Mm-hmm. All right. So we talked about on one of our, not our last episode, but the one before that, or maybe the one before that, about um, the serial killer whose head was in the jar, mm-hmm. right? who was not the first serial killer <laughs> and was not the last person to be hanged. None of those things. None of those things. And I, I admit I was a little mad at people for spreading these lies well and again if i can easily verify that neither of those things are true don't tell me that right well and then i liked the point that you made about oh well yeah they overlooked the woman right because mm. but turns out that may not have been what happened there so we have a friend actually i don't know that you really know this friend so jim good luck does a podcast about like interesting obscure history (gasps) so he's a smart dude jim will you go ahead and plug that on our facebook group because that is right up my alley right yeah absolutely no he's very cool um we've actually talked to there may be some opportunity for some crossover (gasps) that now that we have a serious history buff we uh, might need to look into. Yay! Um, but anyway, his comment, and he did talk about it in our Facebook group, is that um, that that was not atypical. That this kind of thing happens a lot because depending on when the original article sources were from, it would have definitely been pre-internet days. Mm -hmm. And he says, especially around the 70s and 80s, which is like the heyday of trivia books, Mm. they would often get information incorrect. And if a couple of sources get it incorrect, it gets published and republished and cited and recited. It goes on and on and on and it eventually winds up on the internet where all of a sudden it explodes a thousand folds. And then Snopes has to get involved. And then Snopes (laughs) has to get involved. But that there just is no way to correct for all of that because it's so prolific at that point. That makes so much sense. Right? So Jim, thank you. We learned something against our will, but we learned something. Learning. (laughs) But no, that it does. That, that explains a lot and makes me feel like it was less malicious and more just kind of the way things happen. No, absolutely. I saw that comment and that had never occurred to me. That's actually really fascinating. Yeah, no, me neither. I just figured it was like lazy reporting, essentially. Well, and when you, again, because I think we try to look at various sources. Right. When we're looking, and we're looking a lot at like local news stories, and there's all sorts of. Right. <laughs> well, and my start, my stories almost always start out on like a listicle or Wikipedia yeah. or like somewhere where I know I'm going to have to verify the information. Well, Wikipedia, actually studies have shown that Wikipedia is overall very accurate. Oh, yeah. Well, and I I try to, if I'm getting that as sort of my primary source, make sure that it's one that's well cited yes. and not just one that says citation, citation needed. needed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I, yeah, no, I, mm. we do a lot of verifying. Yep, we do. But yeah, if it goes that far back and we see it in a few different sources, we figure it's decently true right right well and then to know for certain that it's not and to even have it acknowledged like one of the articles that I read about that story said well 
he was the first serial killer and he was the last person to be hanged and blah, blah, blah. And then like halfway through the article, they were like, but he wasn't really. It was like, <laughs> you led with right. that. Your first several paragraphs insinuated that was the case. Right. No, no. <laughs> right. So. So thank you, Jim. Thank that you, is Jim. super helpful. And guys, always any sort of correction, any sort of information that you have. We had a, a comment one time on our podcast. We talked about um, a, an airport in Australia mm-hmm. and how far it was. This teenager uh, drove or took a bus or whatever. Oh, yeah. That kid that. Yeah. 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 And and they got on and they just said, hey, you know, that's sort of like the distance between, and I think it was like New York and Chicago or something, like huge distance. That's a really and, long time. Right. And that there would have been plenty of airports in between. And like, that's the kind of thing that I'm kind of lazy and I try not to learn. So I probably didn't remember to look it up. Yeah. But I really do want to know. Like, also, it's really interesting. It's really big. It is really it is, big. I don't think... I understand how big it is. No. <laughs> All right, Diana. What else do we need to say? All right. We don't have any new reviews, but I do want to remind you all that if you would like to receive a shout out, please rate and review us on iTunes or your podcast catcher of choice or on Facebook, which is an option. Yes. Um, our Facebook page could use some some love and some reviews. It could. We actually, we got a couple. I guess we gave them shout outs last week, but we did get we a couple, did. which is awesome. Yes. Um, so but, you know, we could use some more. We don't have enough reviews on there yet to get a rating. So it doesn't show up <laughs> Oh, yet. how many do we need to get a rating? Do you Ten. Know? Come on, guys. Come on, guys. There are over 1,100 of you that subscribe. That would, like, that we can track. I don't want to say track down. That seems creepy. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know exactly how that metric comes to be, whether that's just people through Podbean or whether that captures iTunes or all of those things. Right. So we know for sure there are at least 1,100 subscribers. Right. There might be more. We just... We don't know. Right. Um, It's kind of nebulous. So please, if you don't mind, just take a minute. Well, and we have about 100 people in the Facebook group, which means not even 10% of our Facebook groupies, who are amazing people, have rated us on Facebook. If you don't mind, guys. It only takes a second. Just click five stars and be like, love ya. And that's it. That's all we need. Smooches. Although we really do prefer a little more detail. We do. Even, Even criticism. Yeah, no, let us know how we can improve. I want to say we're still new at this. I'm still new at this. Oh, I'm totally making it up as I go. So please tell me what to do. Rock on. But we we do this for you. So let us know what what you want to hear and what you like and what you don't like. And and let let us deliver you things that you love. All right. So definitely leave us a five-star review without any medical (laughs) anything in it. Anywhere that you would like. If you could maybe avoid the uh, words, Diana seems a bit crazy. (laughs) (laughs) It is implied. We all know. No need to point it out. We're aware. (laughs) We do give shout outs for all reviews, but we like the five-star ones the best. Yay. I should maybe not say that after I've been real crazy. (laughs) We like your crazy. Yay. A special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. If you would like to support Crime Crazy uh, and or Crazy Diana, (laughs) (laughs) please check out our Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash crimecrazypod, which I misspelled in my notes. (gasps) No. I feel shame. Or search for Crime Crazy Podcast. 
All patrons get a monthly shout out on the show. Yay. Woot. You can follow Crime Crazy on Facebook at facebook.com slash crimecrazypod. From there, you can catch up on the conversation by joining the Crime Crazy group. You can follow us on Twitter at Crime Crazy Pod. You can follow us on Instagram at Crime Crazy Pod. You can check out our website, crimecrazypodcast.com, or email us at crimecrazypodcast at gmail.com. Please email us. We don't get much email. No. <laughs> the email we get is really boring. <laughs> well, I don't know. I like the you have new followers on Podbean. Ooh, I like that That's one a my lot. favorite email. But the one that was like, you don't have the latest Podbean app on your iPhone. I, I know. <laughs> you don't need to email me about it. You can follow us on Twitter. You're at... Oh, I'm at Erin Plyme. I'm at Diana underscore Seacon. And on Instagram, you're at... E Plyme. And I'm at Classy underscore Broad underscore MSP. Also, since Diana has made me keep up with my personal Instagram and Twitter, I just have to apologize right now because I've got them both on my phone and I never quite know which one I'm using at any given time. I just often will post and or like things from one account or the other without looking <laughs> so, so if you see on our instagram where crime crazy has liked a ton of pictures of this baby with really long hair that's my newest nephew and he's awesome and his name is sammy he's real cute <laughs> feel free to like him as well <laughs> excellent all right diana so i feel like we gave them the spiel mm-hmm Reach out to us on social media. Please do. We are very nice people. We're lovely. We are. And apparently we don't have enough going on in our personal lives and we need you to be our friends online. That's right. (laughs) All the online friends, please. Uh, But do you have any advice for us this week? Me too. Okay. You guys, erase your search history. That is such great advice. Sweet, crying baby Jesus Christ. You know, that is just the dumbest way to be God for Christians. <laughs> clear your cache. Clear your cookies. Like incognito mode, a little better, but not quite. You still, you just got to clear it out. Everything. Better yet, have like a burner laptop. Like buy one of those cheap ass Chromebooks and then like throw it out a window or something. Like, like clear, clear everything. It. Clear it first. And then, I don't know, like poop on it or throw it out a window or something yeah because if you don't do these things i yeah you're gonna violate like the one rule of crime crazy which is don't end up on next week's episode